847 is 366 and 7. Hello and welcome to A Score to Settle, a podcast about movie and TV music. I'm your host, Brian McVicker. Each episode I focus on music composed for film and television, whether through analyzing a specific score, taking a deep dive into a particular composer's career, or by way of interviews with guests, both those in the industry and also fellow fans. On this episode, I am once again joined by soundtrack album producer and editor Neil S. Bolt. Most listeners might remember that I've interviewed Neil in previous years for the podcast, with the focus being discussion on his recent soundtrack albums. I've invited him back to talk about his notable projects from 2020 uh, for various record labels such as La La Land Records, Entrada, Vereser Band, and Quartet Records. Welcome back to the show, Neil. Hey, it's it's nice to be back. Um, we need to really, really clarify that we're here to talk about 2020 soundtrack albums <laughs> and pretty much nothing else from 2020. <laughs> Agreed. You know, can can you see, believe people see was... twenty twenty people see twenty twenty year in review? They go, oh, I don't hear that. <laughs> you know, they, they think you know. I don't ever want to remember twenty twenty again. Exactly. But, but stick with the show. There were some really good records last year. Exactly. I, I think high points for everyone involved. Everyone agrees. <laughs> the high points last year were the soundtrack album releases. It's really, really I mean, what kept worldwide. The, kept, kept it's what kept us together, man. Exactly. In the darkest days, you could say, well, there is an expanded dark man. I got Karate Kid 2, man. I got Karate Kid 2, exactly. Life is good for today. (laughs) Um, And speaking of Karate Kid, uh, you were able to produce uh, Karate Kid 2 and 3. And so I am interested to hear about your experiences, like with the elements, how different is it from the Verez albums? You know, what were your surprises that you, that you encountered uh, with Karate Kid 2 and 3? Well, I had one of the most positive experiences working on Karate Kid 2 and 3, uh, purely from a selfish standpoint. Um, before all the lockdown stuff happened, I think this was the somewhere around February 20th or so, um, I had to look at the elements that had been transferred on Karate Kid 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. And I got to go to Technicolor, and it was the very first time I ever drove to a location and I had my own parking spot Wow! with my name on it. Wow. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Because I was like, oh, I'm going to have to look for a, you know, the anxiety of, oh, I'm going to have to find a parking spot. And I pull in and like, oh my gosh, there's one that says bulk on it. <laughs> And yes, I took a lot of pictures of it. I was very <laughs> proud. And then I went in and looked to it. Um, so we did Karate Kid last year for the 35th anniversary, but the, the, the idea was to try to do them all at once, but it didn't it didn't work out that way. It, um, oh. We couldn't find everything that we needed. Um, so it was sort of like find stuff, you know, and get stuff as we can. Okay. So obviously, we, obviously the, the, the priority was the first Karate Kid because that was an anniversary year. And then it, it took a while to find to find stuff on, on Karate Kid 2 and 3. And we finally did. And I remember I got them. Like, uh, I was like, I needed work to do. And then suddenly, 
Karate Kid 2 and 3, and another big project, which was supposed to be 2020, but got pushed to 2021, they all showed up the same day. I was like, oh, oh my goodness. It's like, now I was looking for, it's feast or famine. I was looking for work, <laughs> and now I got a ton of work. <laughs> So with Karate Kid 2, it was half-inch three-track, just like Karate Kid 1. Um, very cleanly organized, easy to, you know, relatively easy to, to, to figure out. Um, the, the difficulty was trying to figure out the overlays for the main title. They did um, percussion overlays, and they just like recorded all this percussion while. So I had to listen to the main title and try to figure out, what's this, what's this, what's this? And, okay. and I think I got it. Um, and, and it's a, it's a bonus track on the album. Right. It's the main title with percussion overlays. So, so that was that. And then, so Karate Kid Two, for all intents and purposes, was ready. It's ready to be mixed, except COVID. <laughs> and my normal. My normal methodology is what I did on Karate Kid. It's what I've done on many albums over the years is to take all the material to Private Island tracks, sit with the engineer, do the mix and listen and, you know, oh, uh, you know, sort of figure things out. And on this case, I was like, and this was very, very, very early. Um, I don't know if they're, I guess they're, this was around stay at home. And I was like, oh, okay. So I took this enormous 25 gigabyte session and just put it on Dropbox. <laughs> like, here you go, guys. I think, am I correct in Karate Kid 2 on, on the track that's called The Storm? It says mm -hmm. version after it? Yeah, um, that's only because the original soundtrack album, which we, we don't have, the, the song album, mm -hmm. Conti recorded a track called Storm, but it was recorded specifically for that album. Okay. So it was not what's well, on the original 1986 album was a re you know, a, a reconception of, of the cue, the storm. So to have another cue called the storm, it just felt like, well, it's not that storm on the other Karate Kid 2 album. Let's distinguish it and just make sure people know that this is what's heard in the film. Got it. I was very curious about that because I'd never owned the original album. I have no idea what the differences are. And I was like, oh, and I was kind of surprised. Oh, there's that you have film version. And I kept expecting there to be alternate the storm or album version. Yeah, yeah, there's not. There's no, it's it's because of that 86 album, which has never been on CD. I mean, this is purely musical question. I mean, are, do you recall there being like vast differences between Oh the, yeah. The oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like synthy and you know, it was not I don't remember being orchestral. Interesting. So 
same with um, the last track on it, which is a love theme from Karate Kid Part Two film version. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a track on the original soundtrack album on the LP. Okay. Called Love Theme from Karate, and it was. It, they, I remember they asked me about that. They're like, because we don't, you know, we were dealing with Sony Pictures on this, and like they don't have the rights to that album. And they they were saying, you know, this isn't that. No, it is. It is a wholly new recording. Hmm. Um, it was this this late number, so it's it's all good. So Karate Kid 2 was pretty straightforward. Um, how was it working with Karate Kid 3, which, if I'm correct, never had an album release? The score, like, no no part of the score ever hit record, right? No, that's not right. Okay. Correct me, <laughs> well, please. Well, it, well it, had, it, had a, it obviously had a song album in, in 89. Okay. I thought I had over here, but I don't know where it is now. Um, and I can't remember now. That may have had, you know, some... Again, re-recorded score cues, not not actual score cues. And then Berez included it in their collection, so that there was a Karate Kid Three. However, for whatever reason, I encountered the exact same thing when I got the you know the whole process for the Karate Kid albums was supposed to be you know find the three track tapes, get them transferred in high res, make new stereo mixes, boom, done. Mm-hmm. be a high quality source it would play correctly it was just that was it so i went to sony pictures and they had all the boxes there i was like here it is here is the three track on karate kid three it was and in fact it was even recorded right here at sony mm. and i was like perfect this is it and they transferred it and then um I got it that day, and <laughs> I was like, "Yay, I got it!" Now, uh, previous to this, what, what had led me to want to find these tapes was I had invested. You know, I, I did the research. I, I'd gotten the movie, and I'd taken the Verez albums and lined them up to the movie to see to hear what was done. And on Karate Kid Three, it was I noticed it right away. I was like, "Wait a minute these these uh, pan flute overlays don't match at all. They, 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 it's like this main title." There's stuff going on in the film main title that's nowhere on the Verez album, and conversely, there's stuff happening on the Verez album that's not in, in the movie. But what was weird was the orchestra was the right take. <laughs> so like, I'm like, okay, this orchestra absolutely is the correct take, but I don't know what's happening here. And so, and it was for the entire score. It wasn't wow. like an isolated cue. It was like any right. cue with the pan flute is different. I'm like, boy, this this is weird. Because huh. um, I, I didn't have that on, on one and certainly on two, because two two was a synthesized pan flute, so I'm feared didn't perform on that score. Okay. And so I had discovered that with the CD, with the Verez CD and, and the movie. So I thought, okay, well, when we pull in these three-track tapes... These these will be the right mixes. They have to be right. So I got got the three track. I was all excited. I sat down. I was like, "Holy smokes! This matches 
the performances heard on the the Verez album. It's not what's in the film. Wow. And I, so now it's like I have to find what's in the film. I, I you know you know just just so I don't get driven crazy because my, my greatest fear is the film score monthly board going hey this is the wrong pan flute. <laughs> I go oh. <laughs> then I get an angry email from Michael Gerhard, you know, the <laughs> co-owner of Lolly. It's like, what's up with the pan flute? Be like, oh, <laughs> gotta find the pan flute. So and you've got missing a, film version pan flutes. How do you find those? So there was one reel of the half inch that was missing, and it had the main. T- it was had takes of the main title on it that I, I didn't have. I was like, oh, shoot. So we did a little more searching. And thankfully, at Sony Pictures, they found quarter-inch reels. And I was like, okay, great. And, and, I, and I could see they, on the box, the quarter-inch reels, like, it was just the selected takes. And they had the, the missing takes, miss, you know, the missing takes were there. And I was like, great. Mm-hmm. Worst comes to worst, I'll have the main title from here. And I can piece it together from quarter-inch and this. And, and I'll still have the whole score. Just mm-hmm. won't all be from Tree Track, but be fine. So they, they transferred the, the quarter inch reels. And again, like that's the stupid pan flute is wrong. And and you have to understand, it wasn't like I had a clean orchestra, like a clean orchestra without any pan flute. And then I would just pick the pan flute take. I didn't have that. I had three track mixed. I had stereo mixed. There wasn't any chance of me finding an, oh, oh here's the pan flute take. And I'll just like, oh yeah, yeah, actually I didn't have that. Wow. It just had mixes. And I was like, this is really driving me crazy. And the mixes on the three track were the live mixes done at the studio at the, when they were recorded. I was like, okay, this is, this is has ha- what it has to be. So anyway, got the quarter inch tapes transferred. I had the main title. I could, I could build out a main title that was complete and performance correct at the very end. And it was a multi-reel set of quarter inch tapes, which I didn't know. I only had one picture sent to me of the front front of one. So I didn't know that this was a whole batch of reels. <laughs> At the very end of the reels, I heard them say, you know, one M1 mix one. And I went, aha. And sure enough, right then and there was the film, was the, was the orchestra with the film version pan flute. And I went, oh, here it is. And it was that way for every subsequent cue that had a pan flute in it. So it was what- just, happened so so i can only theor i can only theorize on this because this is why it's so goofy none of this was on none of this was on the half inch and if you look in the booklet there's no musicians list because we couldn't find any afm reports on this Hmm. score if i had afm reports i could go oh on this date they went back and re-recorded something i didn't have that so i can only theorize now when i did karate kid i had every tape in the world on that one. I had two inch, I had half inch, I had stem, I had everything. Everything you could think of on Karate Kid, I had. And on the two inch, which was unmixed and it was 16 track, they had a block of tracks that were blank. And they that's where they recorded Zomfir. So he would do a take here, he would do a take one, take two, take three, take, and he would do a handful of tracks on, on the two inch. Mm-hmm. And I could see that they had recorded the orchestra and then they went back and did the playbacks but the orchestra and then Zomphia would play to that. So I was like, okay, so they must have done that with Karate Kid 3. I don't know when, but what they must have done is recorded synth um, flute as they did on Karate Kid 2. 
as sort of a placeholder. Oh, maybe in case they didn't, they couldn't get zombie. I don't know if they couldn't get. Maybe they didn't get zombie. Or at least they had something on tape. Also, it was very. Um, it was a very rough schedule. The movie came out June 30th, and it looked like the last recordings were June 6th. Oh, that's, so again, wow. this time was probably a factor here yeah. as well. But at some point, they did go back and they did get Zomfear. Um, I don't know where his recordings are. All I had were the mixes, but I was like, "Here they are. It's terrific. We've got the mixes." And wow. so I was, I was thrilled to to be like, "Okay, I can really, I can present the score as heard in the movie." It was nice, and, and that's why there are so many bonus tracks on that album. It's like it's like a forty-minute, forty-four-minute score, and it's like a seventy-eight-minute CD because I included all those previous mixes that were on the Verez. You know, because why not? Yeah, so people people are familiar with them. Um, you know, uh, they I think they should be good. So if you get the the new one, you'll have everything that was on the Verez, and you'll have the film mixes as well. And it's it does essentially supplant it. Everybody should be happy. Musically, it's fascinating. And this is spotlighted in the notes and Al Kaplan wrote great notes for um, Karate Kid uh, 3 specifically because I wanted to point out something he pointed out, the baroque musical stylings that Conti used in the first Karate Kid for, you know, Daniel's training. And they kind of then takes the same idiom, but uses it for uh, Terry uh, Silver, Silver. Uh, for the bad guy in Karate Kid 3. And it's such an interesting choice musically for Conti to do. couple things here first of all al kaplan as far as i'm concerned was the only person who could write the notes for karate kid um, <laughs> al and i uh have been watching cobra kai since it started on on youtube um before this project started there was a 35th anniversary screening of, of karate kid that we went to that had like a preview of stuff for for Cobra Kai season two. So we were like, we were already locked in on Karate Kid stuff. We were already fans of this franchise. So then when it came time to do the album, I was like, Al, do you, do you want to write these? And, and 
he was very enthusiastic, and I think he wrote terrific notes for all three. So I was yeah. I was very happy about that. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's just like there's a person with a perfect fit for a release, and in that case, in this case, I really think it was Al. Yeah. Uh, for the Karate Kids, and then uh, Al also loves Terry Silver. <laughs> Which is why there might be a lot of extra Terry Silver cuts on the album because it's like if I have an extra Terry Silver cue, I think Al will like that. So it's like it's, even when the record's over, there's one more Terry Silver cue <laughs> that's on there because it's like, look, it, it is an alternate, and Al will enjoy this. So, it's all about making it, Al. Happy. There's there's the thought process for for <laughs> doing that. Will, will Al like this? Yeah, I think he will. So. It is interesting that that Terry gets this because uh, he's the pretty much the only villain to have his own motif in the series, isn't he? I think you're right. To have his like his own theme, so yeah. Well, let me move on just to a couple other titles. Uh, David okay, Newman's yes. score for for Danny DeVito's Hoffa. I I love David David Newman's style, and I had this was another score that I knew of and had uh, I knew of the 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 use of it in so many trailers, right? Um, and had even listened to it at a record store. And, you know, this is um, really a vintage sort of uh, anecdote, but I went to record store to listen to it, and I don't know, still don't know why I didn't, didn't purchase it to this day. But anyway, it's a great score. Um, and, uh, I don't know if there was anything that, uh, that you can share about your work on, on Hoffa. Well, first of all, not only do I remember record stores, I remember stores. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such fond memories. Uh, Hoffa was, was fun. Uh, again, it was another search for material. David had tapes, mm-hmm. but they were incomplete and we had to dig some more and eventually we found exactly what we needed okay uh, to, to get a full album it was it was fun to put you know if you compare it to the original album which he produced i mean that was conceived as an album so that the sequencing was very different oh completely it's a 30 minute album and i think he he includes the trailer music and i think he opens it right? with the credits with the end credits he did and i was well, and opening with the end credits is you know a lot of albums do that um, True, and I, I I can't fault it because sometimes it's for the best you know the, the you know the best representations of the music yeah um, can be heard. Um, but I was so, it was one of those things where I was like, oh, I'm so excited we got the trailer, and then I looked, and I was like, oh, it's on the original album. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't I, I wasn't familiar, I wasn't familiar with the original album.
Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's, it's it is just one thing. You know, I, I probably we could count on one hand how many times the trailer music for a film is included on the album. Right. Um, and it's it's yeah. I I was like, well, I think Extreme Prejudice has the trailer music on the album. Um, Hook. Oh right, Hook, exactly. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's few and far between. But it, obviously, Newman was proud of that piece, sure. and then it ended up in so many other movie trailers. But the, yeah, so I mean, once you got the elements, if he only had partial elements, it was just again a sort of search at the studio. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, and then making sure that yeah, this is what we need, and it, it worked out. It worked out well. Okay. All right. Cool. I was very ha- I was I was very happy with, with how that one came together. Um, Dark Man was another great release uh, from last year. You know, now now we're at the point of, of uh, sort of getting complete editions of Elfman scores, um, mm-hmm. obviously starting with Batman and Batman Returns, but also um, Dick Tracy, it's enough, I think, on Entrada, and now having Darkman from such a great period in his career. Um, what, how difficult was it to, to get this project underway, or were there roadblocks uh, that you encountered? Yeah, it was, I remember this one being difficult. Again, it was a search for elements, which okay. is crazy. You know, again, it's 1990. Why, why can't I find stuff? It eventually got sorted out and, and figured out. And I was happy, again, I was happy to do what I'd done. I'd worked on Batman and Batman Returns and Mission Impossible. So I'm always happy to work on on a Danny Elfman's score because I really enjoy his music. Yeah, I and I loved, I, yeah, that, that period of time and, and all of his scores are fantastic. And this is another one that has a very specific album presentation. And I'm glad that uh-huh. you guys decided to include both the original album presentation and the full score yeah well uh, that's um kind of a mandate from him that's uh though though i remember when we did the first batman you know things it was sort of the wild west and i don't think i don't think we included the original album on we didn't on batman returns but on batman i remember working on that and listening to the film stuff and i was wasn't happy with a lot a lot of that um as because it was so different from what's on the album, I was like, well, we have to include the album version of this, and we have to include the album version of that. I was like, okay, why don't we just include the whole album? <laughs> <laughs> and 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 we did. Um, thankfully, there was enough space. I guess Returns is sort of the outlier that we don't have the, the original album on there. I don't know if we did on Planet of the Apes either. We did Planet of the Apes. And that was uh, I, and oh, I that's a great question. That's a three-CD set. It is. For it, Planet it of the is. Apes. Would it be funny if like three, three CDs and still no album version i can't recall <laughs> um, but uh so yeah yeah dark man was you know um it was very satisfying again because I, I enjoy the music and i enjoy piecing these things together and realizing oh this is different than what's on the album this yeah. is you know this has never been released before this is a little different edit you know don't ask me to go for specifics because i did it so long ago and yeah <laughs> 2020, you know, made everything feel longer, so I can't remember what happened on Dark Man. <laughs> and, I, and if I recall, it was kind of a long gestating project. It not, was. not, not, not like too long. Not like some you've had some that went longer, but I feel like it was something that had been years. It was. It it, it sort of lingered for a while. It didn't linger like Mission Impossible, which was years. That's. Yeah, um, was but it of. might have been. It might have been a year or two um, to, when we finally got it out. 
because it's I think it's sort of an underrepresented and often forgotten Elfman score. He makes really good albums. He does. He really, and again, I think that maybe it's his history as a, you know, pop musician that he knows, like, this is a great 45 minute or, you know, hour album listen. The next one on, you know, my list here. Yes. Um, oh, this was a big one. Uh, yes. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Hey, look at that. Yeah, that was a big one. <laughs> that was a big was, one. Oh, you should talk to Jeff Bond about that one. That, no, that's, that's true. That's in his wheelhouse. But yeah, we did uh, we did another Irwin Allen. If we did Land of the Giants, well, we did we did uh, Lost in Space, and then Land of the Giants, and then Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, which is the one Jeff was like. like I remember we were working on Land of the Giants. He's like, yeah, but I want to work on Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and I'm like, okay, we'll get to that one. They want Land of the Giants now, and then we'll get the Voyage. And boy, was he like a kid in the candy store when I when I gave him that material. Now, were there less issues with the material this time around? Because I remember there being on Land of the Giants, and I think you and I might have talked about it, was that there were a lot of problems with the original elements? No, it, um, we still had problems. Uh, I don't think there's, I, I don't think there's much of season three at all that survives that oh, we could wow. find anyway on on here. Um, okay, I think that's about it on there and there might be one cue from a library session on there somewhere thankfully that was a show that ran for four years so there is a there's a lot of material yeah. to go through and jeff really uh went through you know i, I was uh, i was less creative on that one and more um administrative i've gone through all the material here it is you pick out an album you have you know, four discs mm -hmm. to call this down to. What are your favorite episodes? What are your favorite tracks? What survives? What's in good place? If something's in bad condition, I don't want it on here. And I would build out the album based on his specifications of, you know, which, which cuts and which, uh, and the order and going through and getting that all prepared for the mastering engineer. And again, I would listen and I would, you know, I would edit and I would do things. But in terms of the creative decisions, I was like, uh, that's that's on you for this. And I think we just think similar on Land of the Giants as well. Mm -hmm. But it was it was, it was you know very I think it was a very good relationship on it. Um, and uh, it, it turned out well. I was very happy to have uh, all sorts of Jerry Goldsmith stuff. Yeah, on there uh, like main titles, unused main titles, and it's really fun to sort of piece this stuff together. <laughs> Thank you. 
It was a great set. I, I, I think there was a lot of. Did you think so? I think so. And and again, I am not a I was not a viewer of the show. It's again, it's kind of a, a the the previous generation to me, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's more of Jeff Bond's generation, whereas you know my generation is, you know, anything post Star Wars kind of thing. So I never really even watched much in syndication. But if you say, oh, well, there's Goldsmith music on here, there's Lee Stevens music on here, there's Joseph Molander, I'm like, okay, I'm in. Um, speaking of Goldsmith, do you mind if we Ooh. jump over to oh uh, this guy Jerry Goldsmith? Oh, I heard of him. He's good. Yeah, he he yeah. did you know everyone's favorite um, film series, the Flint series. Uh, right. Oh, of course. It's <laughs> pretty much all he's known for. Um, oh, the Inchon guy. Yeah, the Inchon guy. <laughs> um, so there were uh, several. There was d- d- numerous uh, Goldsmith releases from from uh, from you last year. Work, albums that you worked on uh, from mm-hmm. several different labels, and so I wanted to uh, discuss some of those. I wanted to first talk about the jerry goldsmith at fox volume one and volume two 20th 20th not fox sorry i apologize thank you for that correction um you've got von ryan's you've got flim flam man you've got blue max and you've got the detective Finally, the Blue Max has been released. Finally. At long last. Oh, we've been waiting it with bated breath. Stop writing your letters. We heard you. (laughs) I'm going to have a shelf of just Blue Max releases. For those those not in the know, the Blue Max has been released about seven or eight times. Yeah, you can have a shelf. Selling out. (laughs) (laughs) What are you supposed to do? You keep releasing it precisely there's demand so anyway yeah yes well i mean it's it was it was it's a nice way it's a wonderful presentation i think it's i love the cover art i love the way that you've put the scores together as well the music on disc what went into prep preparing you know these two albums first of all we had a list of titles that we could put out and then it became a way of it came down to what is the best way to get them out in a sort of logical, maybe, but it fits on this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And to be different. Could you have put Von Ryan's Express and the Detective out on the same disc again? Sure. But maybe we didn't want to. Yeah. Maybe we wanted to pair some more scores together and you know, some you know, you know, so it was a whole whole back and forth. And you know, I had discussions with Michael Gerhard of La Lands, like, because I needed help. I was like, I don't know, I could do this, I could do that, I could do three discs, you know, do all sorts of things. And we came down to this sort of breakdown, like, oh, this, I think this is good, this this works, this makes sense to me. And mm-hmm. you know, so. So the first two were uh, Von Ryan's Express and the Blue Max. And again, I had to take those discs and figure out timings. And if you look, the Blue Max is a little bit different in terms of layout mm-hmm. versus the previous La Land. It's the exact same content. It's just in a different order. And that was simply 
to get it to fit mm-hmm. on two decks. It was like, it'll fit. If we just need to do, we just need to reconfigure things a little bit. Um, but it's the exact same uh, presentation and the same. Uh, Mike Mattesino uh, had done the uh, mixes and restorations on both Blue Max and Von Ryan's Express. So like that work again. It was like, okay, that work is done. We just need to make a uh, sequencing. You know, uh, yes, yeah, sequencing. Make new masters and you know get new notes. And so Jeff Bond is writing the notes for most of these. So that was volume one, and then volume two was the detective. Again, we went and, you know, we found an extra cue for Flim Flam Man. Mm-hmm. I did look for extra stuff on the detective that was on the isolated score, but the isolated score had, uh, for the detective, it um, supplemented it. The, the music recordings with stuff from music and effects tracks, and there were just too many effects to make it worthwhile. Like, ah, this whole climatic cue is just buried. We looked, we tried. But uh, we did get an extra cue on Flim Flam. We are in the process. I think the artwork is done. No, the artwork is not done on volume three. The masters are done on volume three. Okay. I have not seen artwork on it yet or completed artwork, but hopefully that'll be coming soon. But it's good stuff. And it's such an interesting score because it really almost fits. It almost slots in more with his Westerns than like i guess it's more of a comedy drama or you know but it's like but there's more of the, like with the harmonica and some of the the copeland-esque styles it, it's it's more of the stagecoach variety or you know uh just some of his other westerns which i find mm-hmm. interesting um so you could really pair it i mean it, if you're you know listening to flim flan and wanted to listen to something else like it, i'm like well you can go to his goldsmith westerns i mean the other one you know which are kind of similar yeah. You know, these were scores that obviously had been missing for so long. And then for so many years, we only had them on the Verez Saraband Goldsmith at Fox box. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's it definitely like like Von Ryan's was a, was a great find on that set. And it was great to have when Entrada release it. And now it's nice that you're keeping it out there and in print. Yeah, it's, you know, it, again, it goes back to this idea that, geez, some of this stuff is just so good. It should never go out of print. Yeah, and it breaks my heart that it does go out of print. Which it was like, oh, first of all, I worked so hard on this, and second of all, <laughs> um, it's just the music is so good. I want people to to keep finding it, yeah, know, and, and, and discovering it and enjoying it. And I think that's one of the things that often gets forgotten with some of the collectors is I and and maybe it's a little bit of a myopic viewpoint, but I think some collectors will bemoan 
you know, additional reissues, but they forget the larger context of you're wanting to have other people, new fans find this right. music, yeah, you know, it's... yes, you want a record to sell out, you know, and then it's a collectible, but that only benefits like a small segment of the fan base. You just want to keep getting people into the hobby. Yeah. And, and you know what, if people have seven blue max albums to choose from, <laughs> God, God bless you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, great great that could be someone's first goldsmith album and it's an awesome one to start with And, that, and, that, and that's kind of it, that this is a really good, if you don't have a goals, if you're just starting out and you don't have a Goldsmith Club, this is a really great place to jump in and start getting into Goldsmith because you've got new notes yeah. by Jeff Bond, you've got the, the music available again. Oh, what a great just, way to, oh, that's such a great way to frame it. It really is like, it could be someone's Goldsmith primer. Yeah. That's a great way to frame it. Yeah. This is your introductory uh, set in a way. Because uh, there's just so much fantastic music that he did for uh, for the studio. And there's more coming. Now, I'm going to... There's just a couple more titles I wanted to touch on. One that was um, unexpected, but kind of a fan favorite for for a long time a lee holdridge score from the early mm -hmm. 80s uh, uh mr mom uh, from mr mom yay yeah um anything that you can tell uh, me about working on mr mom as yes, far as surprises and First of all, again, that's a movie I love. I love Mr. Mom. Oh, unequivocally, and, it's amazing. Oh, so, yeah. so you, you've seen that one? Oh, I, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do occasionally actually watch some of the movies that I like the scores for. Uh, I grew up with it, and it turns out my wife grew up with it, too, and we constantly, constantly quote Mr. Mom. Oh, it's eminently quotable. Yeah. You're, you're, like, whenever we see like a car doing something stupid, it's always like, oh, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Inevitably, we always say that. You gotta make it all 220, you know, to, you know always quoting Mr. Mom. So uh, when Jose at Quartet said, I, we're interested, you know, we can do Mr. Mom, we can't find anything on it. I'm like, well, that's mm. great. Mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> we can do a record, but we don't have any tapes. <laughs> well, Small problem. There, there's a problem here. And, and so. Like I, I, I was researching it, and like I think it was like Sherwood Productions or something. 
And when I looked that up, that's now a religious organization. I'm like, well, that's that they, they, that's just a different name. It's or you know, it's just a different organization with the same name. So that's not going anywhere. And I just I looked and did searches, and then I got in touch with the contact at a studio, and I was like, do you guys have anything on this? And sure enough, they had something. Hmm. I went, oh, okay, let's pull this in. They had some mono tapes, and they had something I'd never encountered before, which it looks like it was what was used for the dub of the film. So it was black and white work print of the movie. Like you could hold it up to the light and go, oh yeah, that's that's the scene. Huh. But whenever music was supposed to play, it was the mag was cut into this print. So forever long the scene with music was, that was no footage, it was magnetic tape. And then it was spliced back to the print. So I was like, well, let's let's get this transferred and see what it is. And I don't think we had every reel of it. Or maybe we did. I can't write again. I I think we had every reel of it. No, wait, I take that back. We didn't have every reel of it. <laughs> but we had we had most of the reels. And we had that transferred and it was stereo, but it was incomplete. Um, and then we had uh, some mono quarter inch, which was also incomplete. But if you put the two together, <laughs> you could get a very complete or a near complete um, square. And I think, I mean, I hate to use the term complete, but I think um, without going through the garbage um, to see what was thrown out, um, I think it was uh, uh, everything um, for the movie that we could get is in, we could get that in, in mono and then filled it out with stereo surviving, you know, cues for the most part. like to have found scoring masters in stereo sure you know i found a good chunk of it and it turned out to be a a good album al uh, al kaplan wrote the notes for it i was i was real happy because i think i think uh, there were at least three people on the fsm board who really wanted it <laughs> you you made their year last year yeah absolutely and, and i got to meet lee holdridge i got to deliver his albums which was cool I oh, wish that's I excellent. Spent, yeah i wish i could have spent more time with him but you know, I had plastic gloves on and a face mask, and I was like, well, here are your desk, I'll set them down here. <laughs> Very nice guy. And and we have talked about, you know, getting lunch at some point, but uh, this yeah. is the world we're living in right now. Um, now, was there anything, It's because, you know, now Mr. Mom, it has you know, a great original score, but then it also mm -hmm. has, you know, references to, you know, previous scores, whether it's Rocky or Patton or Rocky Cherry's Fire. Right. Um, so what happened on that was, as I said, it was incomplete. We didn't have anywhere the Chariots of Fire cue. That, we didn't have that on Mag and we didn't have it on Mono. Okay. But I, I think I had the Rocky and I think I had the Patton. I think because I think they were on the mag, but then I was like, well, this would feel weird including those, mm -hmm. and not including the other ones. It, it would always be like, oh, if only we're missing the one thing. I was like, you know, 
and they're not by Lee Holdridge. And this is a Lee Holdridge album. Mm -hmm. So why don't we just ignore that stuff and focus on Lee's material? Now, of course, it still includes Young and the Restless, but he interpolated that into the score properly. That makes sense because that you know that whole sequence, the whole soap opera sequence, uses it and goes in and out. I was like, that makes sense. I can ju- I can justify that. I couldn't justify um, the Patton, and I couldn't justify the Rocky cues. I agree. And it's like, and again, it's like, you know, if you really want Rocky, the Gonna Fly Now is is out there. It's on <laughs> one or two albums. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 the theme to Patton is readily available. Yeah, I but think. The- <laughs> But Lee's score to Mr. Mom, I, I, it's like this. This deserves its own, its own release. And, it's a really it's, yeah. It's, it should be the focus. Absolutely, it's a very lovely score in its own right. I don't think you know even even with references to previous scores, it's not a patchwork score. No, not at all. Um, and I mean the, the the one thing that I always that I liked about all of the Chariots of Fire is that it's an orchestral rendition of that theme, or at least it starts. It might start. Yeah, it's, it's not quite char- it, it's it's yeah, it's and it's not quite chariots of fire. It, it evokes chariots of fire. Yeah. It's not it's not like it's like like gonna fly now is gonna fly now. And theme to patent is theme to patent. Yeah. The, the the racing cue is chariots of fire adjacent. Got it. Right. Yes. You know. <laughs> but again, I couldn't find it. So well, I think it's it's a again one of those nice surprises. Never would have expected yeah. it. Every, you know, every time watching the movie, it's it's always a uh, it's it's a wonderful score heard in the film, and it's nice to actually have that on disc as well. And, and I'm I'm glad it came out last year. Um, it was a victim of COVID, um, not in you know the, the really awful way, but <laughs> but of timing, and and so it was finished, and then everything shut down in Spain. And it was like, we don't know when this is going to come out. We can't make this album. And it's like, oh, man. So it eventually did come out. I was very happy. When it yeah. did, like, oh, good. You got it out. Jacob's Ladder. I didn't realize that you had oh. also worked on Jacob's Ladder. So what, right. was, yeah. another, what was your involvement there? Quartet. Oh, uh, another one that, you know, COVID got in the way of where I was, you know, asked to work on this project. I was happy to, to get the project. I couldn't get the tapes. Hmm. It was You couldn't get the tapes because no one was going in and places were shut down. They had them. I was, they were right there. Huh. I couldn't get them. Wow. Um, so it was delayed for several months. I was like, uh, he. I know Jose wanted it out this year, and I was like, or you know, 2020. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do everything I can to get this out in, in 2020. I can't get the material, as restrictions eased a little bit, maybe too quickly. Um, we, I was able to get the tapes and and figure all, and and boy, that was a, 
that was a tough one to, to sort out in every way, in every conceivable way, because there's a lot of music that's not used in the movie. Mm -hmm. The cue sheet wasn't very helpful. And then going in with the, uh, and in fact, I, he scored stuff that was cut out of the movie. Hmm. Uh, thankfully, the Blu-ray has its lead scene section. And you can sort of go, oh, this has to be this, and this has to be this. This must be this. And then uh, the soundtrack album, which we included. So Jar had created uh, suites. And so my job became figuring out what made up those suites from the full score. And, and I did, I figured it all out. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so these, are, these are the timings. And this is this, is this, is this, is this. And so it was able to, to figure out. Uh, so it, it's interesting because again, music that was cut out of the movie was on the original album in those suites. That was fun. That was a fun challenge to go through and look at waveforms and go, oh yeah, that's that. And oh, there's a, because the segues were great. The transitions were great. They're really tough to, you know, to, to hear. Jar had a great way of, again, like Elfman, putting together albums that were unique yeah. experiences. It does. It does. It blows me away, though, that this is the same guy that wrote Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, in terms of like how I mean, just the the differences, the disparate styles between Jacob yeah. Ladder and, yeah. and Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's completely like a big orchestral score with themes. And It, and Jacob's like much more atmospheric. Yeah, he definitely was one. It's not like, you know, an Albert Bernstein score from the 60s is kind of like an Albert Bernstein score from the 80s. I mean, there's a there's a sound yeah. stamp, but I mean, it's Jar kind of had a path like Goldsmith where you can't, you know, you, you wouldn't listen to the Blue Max and then go listen to um, Criminal Law and think, right. that's the same guy? Again, this was a well-timed conversation we we're having um, because Res Saraband just recently released an expanded edition of Looney Tunes back in action. Looney Tunes back in action. Yes. What a fun, what a fun project. Yeah, is there anything you can uh, talk to about that? Well, I, I was brought in very late in the game on that one. I had nothing to do with finding the elements or anything, but apparently, I know I've read Bruce's notes, and obviously I've spoken to Bruce about it. Mm -hmm. It was quite an ordeal oh. getting that one into shape and finding it and, and getting it releasable. Uh, you know, it was some arcane 
digital format that needed to be completely restored. Oh boy. Um, yeah, and it, it was a lot of work involving many people <laughs> getting this going. But um, when it got to me, I did some of some of the assembly on it, made some recommendations, listened to the mixes, made some recommendations on those mm -hmm. as well. And I, it's a really fun score. I've always, you know, I remember working on it. And I was even wearing my Wiley Coyote T-shirt <laughs> that said "Super Genius." <laughs> Don't you debate it? <laughs> now that's a score, though, that has a very has a storied history. I mean, it, it, for so many reasons. I mean, it was one of the final scores that Goldsmith composed. It was the last score he had that was in a theater that was yeah. heard in theaters. Mm -hmm. It was also a score that he didn't complete. Um, and John Debney was brought on to to complete uh, and add in cues. Was there anything right. as far as the those cues? Was it like tough to find? Do you know if like it was the all of that stuff? Oh, elements were together or? Um... Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know any of. I don't know about any of that. Okay. Okay. Um, when I got it, it was all sent to me. So yeah, I just had to ID some stuff and, and figure some other things out on it. I was very, I was very happy to be a part of it because it's his last score. And it is, it's a great testament to his continued creativity, you know, even at that late stage. And not only is it his last score, which I didn't, I didn't know at the time, you know, yeah. but I've always enjoyed the movie so much so that when I saw it in the theater, I went by myself and then I took my sister like the next day. Huh. I said, you got, yeah, I said, you got to see this movie. You, got, you just got to see this movie. Um, I know, you know, it's not everyone's favorite but I've always enjoyed it. And I still enjoy it. I watch it again. Like, yeah, this is a good movie. <laughs> I've actually never seen it. You haven't seen no. it back in action? No. I mean, good. I, I, I guess I should. I, you know, I, I'm that Goldsmith fan that will just simply buy an album and not sure. be bothered with watching the movie. <laughs> I get that. But this is one, I mean, now you may watch and be like, oh, that's, no, I'm never, never listening to Neil again. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I can you tell you, I, I legitimately like, I was laughing and, and took my sister to see it the next, like literally the next day. Like, you gotta go see this movie. That's amazing. So, well, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure Joe Dante will be happy to hear that. And we befriended uh, the editor, Marshall Harvey. Yes, Marshall is great. Um, yeah. It was it was great to have him on my podcast uh, and interview him. And I think we, we you know, we talked a little bit about that Yeah, as you well. should back on after you watch Looney Tunes. That's true. That's now I can be I'm having sure more. I'm sure he's got lots. He's got way better stories about it than I do. in the LA Times uh, this week where it was like listen to your music on a stereo don't listen to it on your phone because you'll look at your phone and you'll you'll see news and you'll mm -hmm. you'll get texts 
and you'll you'll it'll it'll distract you. Music is a great way to step away from the world, to put on your stereo, you know, put on a pair of headphones and close your eyes and 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 experience an album. Yeah, is a great way to escape, you know, not looking at a screen and and escape with the music. And so, I encourage people to do that, especially with Mr. Mom or Goldsmith at Twentieth. Yeah. Well, I, the, or Looney Tunes no. or anything I worked on or anything any of my colleagues worked on just listen to your music and turn off your screens for a little bit <laughs> excellent sage advice <laughs> this wraps up my conversation with Neil S. Bolt soundtrack album producer and editor as always I'd like to thank Neil for graciously participating and sharing highlights and stories from some of the wonderful albums he produced during the otherwise awful year of 2020 the albums we discussed in this episode can be found online at La La Land Records, Quartet Records, and Verez Saraband, respectively. These are all soundtrack labels that offer many exciting and entertaining titles from which to choose. Before I reach my usual sign-off, I wanted to share another portion of this most recent talk with my friend Neil. As can be expected, there are often conversational detours. During one such detour this time around, we were discussing the recent LP, expanded LP edition of Jerry Goldsmith's brilliant score uh, for the 1990 science fiction film Total Recall. Uh, this is an LP edition with which Neil was also involved. This particular conversational detour, uh, however, concerned Neil's pronunciation of the word recall. Last month, we're recording this in January, so last month was December, uh, the the new cut of Godfather 3 came out on, on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to the theater opening day, which was Christmas, to see The Godfather 3. Mm-hmm. And on my Walkman was Total Recall, which <laughs> I had gotten for Hanukkah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was like, wait, that was 30 years ago. Wow. And yes, I'm saying Recall. Yes. No, no, that's, it's, it's the Neil Volk way of saying everyone crazy. And I think that's why I'm going to keep saying it. I got like text messages about that. (laughs) Well, it's, it's one of those things where you could, like, if I was using the word in a sentence, I would like, and I was trying to remember something, I would state, well, from what I recall, I wouldn't say from what I recall. Yeah. So I get why you pronounce it as you do. You recall a car, you recall a memory. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what's Total Recall about? I, I heard Ron Chousset say it, Total Recall. Now, he wrote the thing. You think oh. you know better than Ron Chousset? No, I guess not. I, I, would, <laughs> I stand corrected. Or as I say, Chousset. <laughs> of course, I want to thank everyone for listening today, as always. I hope you found it both entertaining and informative. Music heard in today's episode included excerpts from Karate Kid 2 and 3, composed by Bill Conti, Hoffa, composed by David Newman, Dark Man by Danny Elfman, music from the TV series Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, with the main title by Paul Saltel, an unused second season title by Jerry Goldsmith, and music from the episode Time Bomb by Leith Stevens. The Blue Max, Von Ryan's Express, The Detective, the Flim Flam Man, Looney Tunes Back in Action, and Total Recall, all composed by Jerry Goldsmith. Mr. Mom, composed by Lee Holdridge. And Jacob's Ladder and Lawrence of Arabia, as composed by Maurice Jarre. 
If you'd like to send any comments or questions, you can email the show at escortasettlepodcast at gmail.com. Find the blog at escortasettle.blogspot.com. On Facebook at facebook.com slash escortasettle. And on Twitter at score2settlepod. That's at score, the number two, settle pod. If you listen to the show by way of iTunes, feel free to leave a rating and a review. I always appreciate that. And, of course, the podcast is also available to listen to on Spotify. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>